All right, we'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Today we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 21 in Luke chapter 13 this morning, looking at a text concerning the kingdom of God. Now this really has been the theme of Luke, the theme of this gospel, of Jesus' teaching in the gospel of Luke. He's come proclaiming the kingdom and bringing the kingdom of God. And today he speaks more of what this kingdom is like. And so go ahead and stand as I read, beginning with verse 18 and going through verse 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Just ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we thank you for the word. Your word is truth, Lord. Your word is truth, whether we acknowledge that it is truth or not, whether we live as if it is truth or not, your word remains. It is true. So help us through your word, by your spirit, in this time, God, change us, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, verse 18 begins, He said, Therefore... Therefore, this means that the verses we are looking at today are connected to the previous text, to the previous verses. Therefore, how do they connect? We see that in two ways. First of all, as we consider the kingdom, the kingdom of God, we've just seen how Jesus is bearing witness to the kingdom and bringing the kingdom in the synagogue. Verses 10 through 17. A woman who has been bound by Satan for 18 years, has a disabling spirit, is now free. The kingdom has come. This brokenness that is seen in her body physically, this disabling spirit, does not belong in the kingdom of God. That's not the way things are in his kingdom. That's not the way it's going to be in his kingdom. We've seen this through and through in Luke as he goes and heals and casts out demons. He's, he's preaching the kingdom and he's bringing the kingdom. He's displaying, this is what my kingdom is like. This is what it is like in my kingdom. And so we see it here. Therefore, just as he has shown and displayed what his kingdom is like, deliverance. Those who are bound are delivered. Not only that, we see from Jesus' words the connection. Jesus' words coming from the previous text. That even though there's opposition, you have this ruler who opposes what he says and what he does. There's opposition to Jesus' message. There's opposition to what he's doing. Even though there's opposition to the king, that doesn't negate the truth of the kingdom. It doesn't negate the truth. It doesn't negate the power. It doesn't negate the influence of the kingdom itself. And that's what Jesus is going to be referring to in these verses. His kingdom will go on. 
No matter the opposition that comes, it will not stop. It will not end. Therefore, Jesus says, what is the kingdom of God like? What is it like? Now, before we look at that and his answer to that, I want to shorten the sentence by one word, or the question by one word. And let's look at this question first. What is, not just what is the kingdom of God like, but first, what is the kingdom of God What is the kingdom of God? If this is such a theme through this book, and it is, what is it? What is the kingdom that he comes and proclaims? What is the kingdom that he's bringing? What is this kingdom that he's bearing witness to? What is the kingdom of God? It's important to understand what the kingdom of God is to help us understand what Jesus is talking about in verses 18 through 21. As I mentioned, this is the theme throughout the book, and it continues beyond that. Luke has another book after this book of Luke that he wrote, Acts. And through that, it's the theme, the kingdom going forth. And throughout the rest of the New Testament, the kingdom is going forth. So what is it? There's just a few things we've seen in Luke so far concerning the kingdom of God. In Luke 4.43, Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. So whatever the kingdom is, first it's good news, Jesus says in Luke 4.43. But secondly, he says, I was sent for this purpose. This is why I came. I came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. That's incredibly significant. When we hear Jesus or when we read his words say... This is why I came. This is why I was sent to proclaim the kingdom. It should cause us to want to know what is the kingdom? What is this kingdom he's talking about? If this is why he came, what's he speaking about here? Why did he come? What is he proclaiming? What is the kingdom of God? Luke 8, 1, we saw... It says he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He's proclaiming it and he's bringing it with him. And we see it bearing witness from place to place as people are delivered. As he authoritatively delivers those who are bound. Setting them free. In Luke 9, 2, we see that Jesus sends out the twelve, sending them to proclaim the kingdom of God. And so what is this kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? Well, to give it a very simple definition, the kingdom of God is this, just simply this, the reign of God. The reign of God. A text that we're familiar with in Isaiah 52 Verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's the message. That's the good news message that's coming. Your God reigns. Your God is not dead. Your God reigns. He's sovereign. He's victorious. He's reigning over all things. That's the message that's going forth. God reigns. 
It's the reign of God. It's life with God under the rule of the King who is Jesus. This life is proclaimed by Jesus and made available through Jesus. Now the reality is we might nod and agree with that, but we are a people who really don't relate to kingdom language. We don't, we don't understand it totally. We don't relate to it. Listen to this quote from Russell Moore. Most of us in the Western world have seen parodies of kings and crowns and kingdoms. But we've never seen anything approaching the real thing. So the language void is filled with all the chatter around us about the Prince of Wales or the local high school homecoming queen or the advertising slogans of the King of Beers or the Dairy Queen. Now what does he mean? What is he saying in that short quote? He's saying the concept is foreign to us. We have this skewed and biased perception of kingdoms and kings. The concept of kingdom is far from our lives and our thoughts. We just don't resonate with that kind of thinking in the Western world. And so when we hear the kingdom of God, we are often confused. And sometimes we're disinterested. For Jesus and the New Testament writers, however, a kingdom was a real-life thing. They lived this. It's something they encountered daily. They lived under the absolute rule of Caesar. So when kingdom is mentioned, they get it. They understand. They're, They're involved in a kingdom. They know what kingdom life is like. They know what it means for someone to reign over them. And Jesus comes on the scene among a people with this kind of thinking, and what does he proclaim? A new and better kingdom has arrived. It's available through the life and work of Jesus Christ, life with God under the rule of God. We talk about the gospel, good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that very word gospel has kingdom connotations. In the Roman world, a gospel was an important announcement related to a king. So try to imagine, try to to imagine the context of Jesus coming and announcing the kingdom of God. And how would that be received? How would people who live in a kingdom... Under the sovereign, absolute rule of Caesar, relate to and respond to someone coming and saying, there's a new king, there's a new kingdom. Think about it this way. Imagine going home today, sitting down this afternoon or tonight to watch a show on television. And as you're watching the show that you desire to watch abruptly ends and the screen flashes. Special report. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special report. Seconds later, a reporter introduces himself. 
says we're immediately going to go to the White House to a press conference that's beginning right now. A message that will affect all of the United States of America. And the statement begins, beginning immediately, there is a new ruler. And with the new ruler, there is a new government. You do not ask questions. You have no choice in the matter. You will serve this new ruler completely. No questions are to be asked by the press. End of conference. Now how would people respond to that? What would the response be? Outrage? Probably. Cries of treason? What right does he have? Who does he think he is? He won't get away with this? Well, that's exactly what it would be like for the contemporaries of Jesus to hear his kingdom announcements. For some, some would receive that with excitement, but others, many others, would receive it with outrage and a determination to silence him and to put him to death. But why? Because it's a competing kingdom. If we're honest, if we're honest, if we can bring this from a a mass nation view down to an individualistic view, this is the problem with us individually as well. We have developed quite the comfortable kingdom that we think we are sovereignly ruling over as king. Our lives. We've practiced it for a long time. What is one of the first words that we learn when we're around two years old? No. No. It's just a word of of kingship. Kingship over my own life. And we're tempted from that point forward to cut off relationships or things that interfere or compete with our kingdom. Our will be done. And so along comes Jesus and says to us, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Come under my absolute rule as king and we struggle. Maybe even resist or refuse. Why? Competing kingdoms. For us to submit to Christ's rule and reign, the kingdom of God will overtake and completely annihilate my kingdom. They cannot coexist, and I will become his subject, and my flesh, my desire to stay on the throne as king of my life, pushes against that. That will be bad news to us unless we see his kingdom as superior to our kingdom. Until we see that we'll be better off with him as king, that he's a better king than I am a better, than I am king. That's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 13 as he speaks of the kingdom there. In Matthew 13 verse 44 he says the kingdom of heaven 
is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. This man has a kingdom. Everything that he goes back to sell, that was his kingdom. It's what he, he reigned over. He ruled over those things. It was his mine, mine, mine. He lived for those things. He loved those things. But when he discovers how great the kingdom of God is, this treasure in the field, he's willing to reject his kingdom to gain God's kingdom. He goes and in joy, he sells all that he has to get the kingdom of God, to get God. You might think of it this way, to someone in the West, in the Western world, a new kingdom sounds suspicious at best. But to someone in a place where a tyrant is ruler, who imposes his will to the suffering and destruction of his subjects, a new kingdom sounds like what? It sounds like hope and joy. And that's where we need to realize we are at. All of us. That's where we come from. We don't have a ruler over us who is good. We have a tyrant ruler over us. Our personal kingdom is actually in subjection to a tyrant who rules a kingdom of darkness. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's the kingdom we are born into. That's the kingdom that we deceive ourselves into thinking, thinking, this is good. Me reigning and leading over my own life, I've got it good. Things are good. I don't want anything to come in contention with this. We deceive ourselves, apart from Christ, into thinking that everything's just great in our little kingdom. What we learn from the Scriptures is, no, 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 no. Our kingdom is in submission to a tyrant king, Satan. And when we realize that, when we understand where we're actually headed because of the sin that is very much alive in us, that we are bound to, what we realize is the same thing that the man in the field realizes. His kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is a far better kingdom. And He is a gracious and far better King. And apart from life with God under the rule of God, we are subjected to a kingdom of darkness. And so it's to that that Jesus comes in Mark 1.15 and announces the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe the good news of the kingdom of God. 
Jesus comes to this broken world proclaiming and bringing the kingdom, bringing hope. And Luke chapter 4, as he stands up in the synagogue on the Sabbath day and reads from the prophet Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what the King, Jesus, brings with His kingdom. Something better has come. If you're oppressed, there's hope. If you're broken, there's hope. If you're in captivity, there's hope in Jesus. And so he's coming and teaching and bringing the kingdom. And yet we see throughout the Gospels this picture of two ways that the Scriptures speak of the kingdom. It speaks of the kingdom as already here. The kingdom is near you. The kingdom has come. And at the same time, it speaks of it as yet to come. And so how do we understand that? First, we go back to what is the kingdom of God? It's the reign of God. Life with God under the rule of God. And so we see from Scripture that it is both. It is already here and it is still to come. How is it already here? It's here in that when people repent and believe as Jesus calls them to do in Mark chapter 1 and elsewhere, they're delivered from captivity. They're set free, just as certainly as the woman in verses 10 through 17 of Luke 13 is set free. She's freed from this bondage. Bonds to sin are broken. A new king reigns over their life, delivered. They are delivered completely from Satan's power and from death. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, should not die. They're delivered from death. Healed and raised from the dead. Ephesians 2, no longer true of them, no longer dead in their trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 4, now true, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were that, when we were dead and, and enslaved to the kingdom of self and the kingdom of Satan, made us alive in Christ Jesus. We are raised from the dead spiritually. Luke 4.18 Those who are captive to Satan are set free. Liberty comes to them. Those who are blind to His goodness, His graciousness, the gospel of Jesus awakened. 2 Corinthians 4.4 The God of this world has blinded, the King of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so they can't see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. But two verses later, repentance takes place. Jesus comes and awakens. He who said, let light shine in darkness, is shown in our hearts to give the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
We see, just as Jesus proclaimed in the synagogue in Luke 4, those who are oppressed set at liberty, finally at rest. The kingdom has come. It is here. It is already here. Paul writes in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness now, and peace now, and joy now in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those things are true now for those who are part of the kingdom of God. That's the already. It's already come. And yet we see in the scriptures, it's not fully here. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom, but will return and bring it fully. He's coming back and will fully bring his kingdom. And as he comes and the kingdom is fully realized, that means total destruction of Satan and his angels. Cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. A formation of a redeemed society, of redeemed people with no presence of evil, no sin, no darkness, no crying, no death. And perfect and present fellowship with God at the marriage supper of the Lamb and for all eternity. That's what's coming. That's what will be fully realized when Jesus returns and His kingdom comes fully. And as we see throughout the gospel accounts, this is good news. It's good news. It's good news because it's the kingdom of God. It's His kingdom. And His kingdom is far better than your kingdom. It's far better than my kingdom. The God of the kingdom is what makes it good. The most fundamental thing about the kingdom of God is that it is the kingdom of God. That it's His. He's the main point of the kingdom and His presence is the main blessing of the kingdom. The kingdom and its citizens take on, as we are His citizens, those shaped by Him, we take on His character It's this good king. And so when we're praying, just as Jesus commanded us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying more of you and more of your righteous reign. Here, now, on earth, more of what your kingdom is like, more of the culture of your kingdom. More of your reign. And come, Lord Jesus, come fully, consummate your kingdom. Let us be with you forever. What are some of the characteristics that we think of as we think of this king? This good king who reigns over this wonderful kingdom. Compassion, kindness, mercy, grace, love, Justice. He is a good king. And he invites us. He bids us, come, come, come. Let me be the king over your life. The reign of God. 
life with God under the rule of God. And so now let's look back at the rest of Luke 13, verses 18 through 21, and what Jesus is saying. If this is His kingdom, His righteous reign, the, the reign of God, life with God under the rule of God, what is He saying that this righteous reign is like? Two pictures He gives us. He says, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? First, Verse 19, it is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. First he compares his kingdom to a mustard seed that's sowed into the ground. A mustard seed, a very, very small seed, tiny seed. I want you to imagine, what are these contemporaries of Jesus thinking Jesus has come and he's preaching. The kingdom of God is here. They must be looking and thinking, Jesus and this small band of insignificant people, the, the religious leaders in Acts, look at them and just say they're, they're common, uneducated people. This is a kingdom? This is it. All of, the, all of the prophecies in the Old Testament, all of the proclamations of His coming, this is it. This is not the Messiah that they had looked for. It's not the kingdom of God that they expected. But Jesus is making a point here in verse 19. This kingdom will not fail. Like a tiny seed that goes into the ground, it will grow and grow and grow and grow. It will expand far beyond what these people are thinking. The birds, it says, will come and make nests. Nests are a picture of dwelling, living. The birds will come and make nests in its branches. What does that mean? It means this, it will be far-reaching. This kingdom that begins like a tiny seed will grow and grow and go forth and sprout up and will be far-reaching. It's a symbol of the nations coming and dwelling in this kingdom. Ezekiel 31 verse 6 All the birds of the heavens made their nests in its bows. Under its branches, all the beasts of the field gave birth to their young. And under its shadow lived all great nations. Daniel 4, verses 21 and 22. Whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant. And in which was food for all. Under which beasts of the field found shade. And in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven. And your dominion to the ends of the earth. It's a similar comparison that Jesus is giving here in the illustration. This tree goes and grows forth and the birds will come and make nests. The nations will be a part of this kingdom. This kingdom, His righteous reign will extend far beyond what it looks like now to these contemporaries of Jesus. It's just a seed now, but it will grow into a tall tree that expands to the nations. 
Psalm 22. Great psalm that Jesus quotes, prays the first verse of from the cross. As you get to the end of that song, verses 27 and 28, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. Every tribe, every tongue will be represented in the kingdom of God. He gives another illustration, verse 20 and 21. Again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Where the last was how the kingdom would expand to the nation, this illustration is one that's focusing on its transforming power. The kingdom will transform. It is a powerful kingdom that is going forth. The ruler in the synagogue, the religious leaders, those who arrest Jesus, those who whip Jesus, those who hang Him on the cross, the nails themselves, the grave that He is laid in, persecutions that will come, nothing will thwart God's plan. Nothing will thwart His kingdom. It is a powerful kingdom. Satan will be defeated. The kingdom will overcome. You think about the illustration. Three measures of flour was a lot of flour. Almost 50 pounds of flour. And consider his point here. Just a tiny bit of leaven placed in this large amount of flour has transforming power. How does it work? How does leaven or yeast work in the flour? Well, first of all, it comes from the outside. It's not something that is in the flour itself. It's not something that manufactures itself from within the flour. It's placed there. It comes from outside. The flour can't change itself. It's dependent upon the leaven. The leaven is placed there. And likewise, with us, the individuals who are called to be a part of this kingdom, we can't change ourselves. God's Word and His Spirit must come into us. Secondly, the leaven, the yeast, works from within. The flour doesn't change from the outside in. The leaven is placed there and changes it. The kingdom, Jesus is saying, works quietly through the world. It's changing things. And eventually, like leaven, everything is going to be different. That's true of us individually, but also of the world. It's a wonderful picture of the already and not yet kingdom. It's working now, changing people, and eventually everything will be made right. His kingdom, His reign is a victorious and good reign. He will overcome and His kingdom will remain forever. Are you a part of that kingdom? His kingdom is a better kingdom than your kingdom or my kingdom. It's a better kingdom than the kingdom of this earth. And the King 
Jesus, who came to earth to proclaim and call people to himself, call people into this kingdom through repentance, that king laid down his life for his subjects to make them whole and clean and fit for his kingdom. And he calls, repent and believe. We've been talking about repentance. If you think of repentance in light of kingdom, repentance is no longer pledging allegiance to self and to Satan, but to a new and better king. It's pledging allegiance to Jesus. Surrendering your will and accepting His will. Forfeiting your rights and receiving His righteousness. It's laying down your values and embracing His values. If you don't know Him, if you've never done that, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never surrendered to Him truly, if you don't know what it means like to be set free from bondage to sin and and made a part of this glorious kingdom where Christ, the good King, rules and reigns over your life, I would encourage you today to heed His words. Repent and believe. As we, as we sing in a few moments, you can get up and go to the prayer room that's in the back of the lobby. There'll be a couple there, Joey and Terrence, that would love to pray with you. For those who are saved and a part of the kingdom, I would ask you, are you living? Are you walking? Are you thinking under His absolute rule? Are you truly thinking kingdom? My God reigns, rules over me. Does He reign over your will and over your wants? Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. We must die to ourselves, to our kingdoms, every day. And so we continue to pray, Your kingdom come, Lord, Your kingdom come. As we go into a time where we sing and we take the Lord's Supper, we continue to think about this kingdom. In the age to come, the not yet kingdom of God, we will celebrate with this great banquet. You look at Revelation 19, 20, and 21, and 22. Just glorious picture of the kingdom coming and us being with the Lord forever. All things made new. This marriage supper of the Lamb, a great supper that we will feast together with our King. But even now in the already kingdom, we've been given a form of banquet, right? The Lord's Supper, where we banquet together. It's a foreshadow of the age to come. The Lord Jesus, Paul saying, participating with us and us participating with the Lord Jesus and His body and His blood as we feast together. Anticipating the age to come when we will sit with Him and He will sit with us. And in that sense, even as we remember the body and blood of Jesus, we rejoice. We rejoice anticipating the time that we're with Him and He's with us forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. You're so good to us, Lord Jesus. You're so good to us. You're a great King. 
One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And as a gracious king, you have come to this earth. You've shown us how to live. But not just that, you lived on our behalf because you knew we couldn't live like you. And as a perfect, spotless lamb, you laid down your life for your subjects. Those who commit treason against their king. That we might be forgiven, washed, made clean. And you bid us to come, to repent of our sins, to find forgiveness and a righteous reign over us. And so as we anticipate the time when when we are with you forever, I pray that you would bless as we take the bread and the cup together, that it would be a foreshadow, an anticipation as we fellowship with you through the bread and the cup, an anticipation of the time where our doubts and our drifting thoughts will no longer be with us, Our tendency, our proneness to sin will no longer be with us. Our battling over lesser idols will be gone forever. Would you help us as we partake together to hope and rejoice into that day, the age to come. Lord, we praise you that it is only possible through Jesus. And we pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that you would awaken them as you invite them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.